I remember I was in seventh grade. It was the first quarter of my seventh grade year. And my parents uh, moved. They took me with them. And <laughs> I was grateful they did. They moved to Rockford, Illinois, where my dad became the pastor of a, of a church called First Free Church. And I left a brand new school at Plymouth Junior High. I don't know if some of you remember this is dating myself, but it was brand new. And we went from sixth grade where you sat in a classroom all day with a teacher, one teacher, and we went to this school. And they were doing this new kind of school with modular scheduling. Anybody have modular scheduling? Remember? Oh, yeah, good. <clears throat> they expected you to be a college student in seventh grade. I mean, they gave you like, you could have like a 20-minute period, and then you could have a three mods, which would be about 60 minutes. I mean, it's just like, I couldn't figure it out, but I did like one thing. I had one thing, I think I had like four mods, like I must have been an hour and 20 minutes. And what do you think a seventh grader does? You're supposed to be like a college student, who I don't know if they even do this, to study. Well, we were playing that little football game. We hour and 20 minutes, and mom would go, well, why didn't you get your homework done? Well, it's just too much fun, mom. I love this school. And then we moved. And we moved to Rockford, Illinois, and it was right at the time when they were doing desegregation, and we lived kind of further out of the town. But I would take a bus ride 30 minutes into the town into a historic school that was the school of its time. It was incredible. It had the first pool in Illinois in a school. It was a middle school, Lincoln Junior High School is what it was called, and it was built in 1920. Yeah, that was a culture shock in all different kinds of ways for me. But when we went to Rockford, there was one thing that was really, um, that's, that t- today I still think about. When we went to Rockford First Free Church, um, besides how incredibly wonderful the people were in the youth group that I was able to attend and be a part of, when we got there, every Sunday afternoon after church, Okay, so this is, a, this is a seventh grader going, nine, you know, get up at eight, nine o'clock, you have, um, Sunday school with your grades groups, and, and then you go to church at 10.30, and then after church at 12, about 12.30, we get to a people's house. Every Sunday for about a year and a half, we would go to someone's house, to a different person's house, for lunch. Now this was a Swedish area, Rockford, Illinois, and there was actually in this church still a Swedish speaking class that was all in Swedish. I speak it fluently. Um, <clears throat> and, and we, in, and I gotta tell you, as a kid, it, it was okay for the first like 10 hounds we did it to, but it would go like 2.30 and we had to be good. And, but it was like Swedish meatballs and, and they had this rice pudding with custard and meringue. They'd have that during the meal, not at dessert. And so you know what I ate. And, and then they had homemade bread, all kinds of stuff. And we did that. I will never, ever forget the hospitality of a different age and generation. I'm not saying we should do this. I'm not advocating that in any way, so don't get ideas. But I am advocating this. We're not to have this radically extreme hospitality. That's what I'd call that. We are to have what is radically ordinary hospitality by the way we live. And that will mean... That as you live, you will make room for people in your heart and your life. That's what it means to follow Jesus, what Jesus himself did. It'll mean that you will um, kind of meet people where they're at so that they feel at home with you. And in some cases, you may actually invite them to your home where some of the greatest opportunities to grow and to know and to develop relationship can occur. 
It's kind of a lost art. It's kind of a lost art. It doesn't have to be in your home. You could meet with them for dinner at places. But this whole idea of having a hospitable heart. If you look at Luke chapter 10, verses 38 through 42, you'll see here that um, in this passage of Scripture, a story of Martha and Mary. And, and you get this story, and it says, and I'm going to ask you to stand with me as we read this, okay? I'm going to ask you to read this first verse with me. <clears throat> and so let's read this together. As Jesus and his disciples continued on their way to Jerusalem, they came to a village where a woman named Martha Welcome them into her home. Now, I'll read the rest. Her sister Mary sat on the floor listening to Jesus as he talked, which is a very, this is the living Bible. It actually says that he sat at the feet of Jesus, which was the place a disciple, a learner, a student would sit, because it actually tells us in Acts that Paul sat at the feet of Gamaliel, which was a very bright man where he was taught. So she was a disciple, which was very uncommon for any woman in that day to to have that kind of position. And so she sat at his feet, listening as Jesus talked, but Martha was the jittery type and was worrying over the big dinner she was preparing. And she came to Jesus and said, Sir, doesn't it seem unfair to you that my sister just sits here while I'll do all, while I'll do all the work? Tell her to come and help me. But the Lord said to her, Martha, dear friend, you are upset over all these details. There is only, really only one thing worth being concerned about, and Mary has discovered, and I won't take it away from her. Now I'm going to ask you as you be seated to turn to someone, be very hospitable, and say, come over to lunch this afternoon. (laughs) I didn't get, I didn't think this would get such a great reaction. A lot of people are inviting people over. It's really wonderful. Grace, did you get an invite? Anyway, um. Many of the sermons that you hear will go into praise of Mary. And they'll talk all about Mary and all the fact that she chose what was better. You know, she made the better choice. And Martha missed it. She was all worried and upset. In fact, the word worried, upset, peripso, is, is, is a Greek word that means you are overburdened with your mind in the sense that you are, you are continually being thinking about all the things that have to happen. Anybody live in that kind of world where you're just worried about all the things, your mind's constantly racing and running, and that's what was going on with her. And so we get all this stuff about Mary and how wonderful it is, but it's important to understand when we look at this passage of Scripture, there would have been no better choice for Mary to make if it wasn't for the choice that Martha had made beforehand. Think about that for a second. Luke writes, Martha welcomed them into her home. That was the first choice before all the rest of the stuff took place. Anybody think that Martha gets kind of a, a raw deal here? Anybody resonate with her? Well, we're going we're gonna to elevate Martha today because she did something incredible that allowed for Jesus to, to come into her home. Martha opened her home to Jesus and 12 other guys, some of them fishermen. Okay? She was hospitable. She had an open heart. She had the gift of making Jesus and his followers feel comfortable and welcome. And I like how the message paraphrases this. It says, a woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. I just want you to think about that phrase and think about your own life. 
as you meet people, as you work with people, as you live, as you go to a grocery store, or you get gas at the gas, are you the kind of person in interchanges that is welcoming and people feel quite at home in your life? What about your neighbor? Just think about those relationships at work, the person in the cubicle near you. I love how the message says that a woman by the name of Martha welcomed him and made him feel quite at home. That's what a hospitable person does. You feel comfortable in their presence. They take you where you are and make room in their heart for you. There is space for you. There is room in their heart for you to be you. Your beliefs and differences, whether religion or race, Or lifestyle. You just have this heart. That sees people as people. And loves people as people. And welcomes them to your life. Before you ever could open your home. You have to open your heart. People who don't look at the world as you do. Or see things as you do or believe things as you do or whatever it is that you do differently need to feel quite at home in your heart. So I'm going to ask this morning this simple question. Do you have a hospitable heart? I want you to think about that because we're going to talk about some differences that take place a heart that isn't and a heart that is. But I want to share with you first a story. It's uh, it comes out of both a magazine where the testimony is given, but also out of a book that's written. The book is called The Gospel Comes with a House Key. And Rosaria Champagne Butterfield writes this story in this book, but she talks all about hospitality and how it actually changed her own life. As a leftist lesbian professor, I despise Christians. Now, I'm going to just share with you on all kinds of places some people are going to feel uncomfortable, so I'm just going to say it up front. The word Jesus stuck in my throat like an elephant tusk. No matter how hard I choked, I couldn't hack it out. Those who professed the name commanded my pity and wrath. As a university professor, I tired of students who seemed to believe that knowing Jesus meant knowing little else. Christians in particular were bad readers, always seizing opportunities to insert a Bible verse into every conversation with the same point as a punctuation mark, to end the conversation rather than to deepen it. As a professor of English and women's studies, my life was happy, meaningful, and full. My partner and I shared many vital interests. I was on the track to becoming a tenured radical. I cared about morality, justice, and compassion. I strove to stand with the disempowered. I valued morality. I probably could have stomached Jesus and his band of warriors if it weren't for how other cultural forces buttressed the Christian right. Pat Robertson's quip from the Republican National Convention pushed me over the edge. Feminism, he sneered. Encourages women to leave their husbands, kill their children, practice witchcraft, destroy capitalism, and become lesbians. That's just hard for me to read. The surround sound of Christian dogma commingling with Republican politics was repulsive and demanded my attention. So she writes that I was compelled to respond. 
She writes, I launched my attack by writing an article against Jesus, Republican politics, and patriarchy. The article generated many responses, so many that I kept a box on each side of my desk, one for hate mail and one for fan mail. But one letter I received defied my filing system. I didn't know where to put it. It was from the pastor of the Syracuse Reformed Presbyterian Church. It was a kind and inquiring letter. Ken Smith encouraged me to explore the questions that I admire. Questions like, how did you arrive at your interpretations? How do you know that you're right? Do you believe in God? Ken didn't argue with my article. Rather, he asked me to defend the presuppositions that undergirded it. And I didn't know how to respond to it. He just wanted to understand which is a really interesting word when you think of the word understand. It's so close to what Jesus did all the time. If you look at Jesus, he did what Ken did. He would kind of ask the question, and the reason why is he wanted to get under the position they had taken and what they were standing upon to to understand, to know, to see where they arrived at, how they arrived at, because he wanted to know something more than their lifestyle. He wanted to know their heart. Jesus was incredible at being able to to see a person and to see and go for the heart rather than just what was coming from their life or their words or their actions. And so with that letter, Ken initiated a relationship, said, his kindness and openness knocked me off balance, is what she writes. I had seen my share of Bible verses on placards at gay parade marches. That Christians who marked me on Gay Pride Today Day, were happy that I and everyone I loved were going to hell was clear as a blue sky. Didn't need to I, I knew where you stood. That is not what Ken did. He did not mock. He engaged. Now you have to understand that the LGBTQ community values hospitality and applies it with skill and sacrifice and integrity. And they do, like, like many communities don't. So she says, so when his letter invited me to get together for dinner, I accepted. My motives at the time were straightforward. Surely this will be good for my research. <laughs> Nothing prepared me for their openness and truth. Nothing prepared me for the love of Jesus through the hospitality in this one simple Christian home. Began with an open heart. That opened a home. The home became my two-year refuge and way station. Long before I ever walked through the doors of a church, the Smith home was the place where I wrestled with the Bible, with the reality that Jesus is who he says he is, and eventually came face to face on the glittering knife's edge of my choice, sexual sin. The Christian home is where I wrestled with my sexual identity. Sometimes, uh, something happened through, she says, their hospitality. The door of their heart and their home became a door for her to, to explore and understand the way she'd never had before. Ken and his wife, Floyd, and I became friends. They entered my world. They met my friends. We did book exchanges. We talked openly about sexuality and politics. They did not act if such conversations were polluting them. They did not treat me as a blank slate. And when we ate together, Ken prayed in a way I had never heard before. His prayers were intimate, vulnerable. He repented of his sin in front of me. He thanked God for all things. 
Ken's God was holy and firm, yet full of mercy. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church, I knew it was a safe to be friends, which I thought was really interesting. I took a double take on it. Listen to this. And because Ken and Floyd did not invite me to church. So don't invite anybody to church, okay? No, just kidding. <laughs> So what is an open, hospitable heart like? Here's one thing that's really going to be important if you really want to be a welcoming presence to others and you want to open your heart to them. And the first is this. You have to learn the difference between acceptance and approval. You you need to come to grips with that. That someone who can think differently, just because they, they think differently, you can accept them, but it doesn't mean you necessarily approve. And that happens on both sides. I mean, that's on everybody's case. But Christians and people in the church have a hard time with this. Jesus knew this very well. He experienced it often. Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 2. The religious leaders, the party of his day, those who were the ones that, if you were to look at them, they go, well, they're the churchgoers. Listen to what it says in, in, in chapter 15, verses 1 and 2. Now the tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. They're flocking to him because he was such a welcoming, open-hearted, hospitable person. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law muttered, this man welcomes sinners and he eats with them. What the text does not say here, it says he welcomes them and he eats with them. Jesus, it does not say Jesus welcomes sinners and sinned with them. There's a huge difference. Hospitable people know that there is a difference between acceptance and approval. They're secure enough in their own relationship with Jesus and knowing God's word and having a sense of their own truth and yet they're humble enough to be able to learn and to grow that even though someone out there might go, oh, well, look at that, he's eating with them and and man, he must, because he's with them and accepts them, then he must really approve of, not at all. I accept you and I necessarily don't approve everything you do. There's a difference. And it's important, I think, if you're going to have the kind of heart where you, where you, you can be like a Ken to a Rosaria or to any person, is you have to have that kind of heart that courageously accepts and respects people who think differently. And you don't worry that others misinterpret your friendship. Jesus lived in the world, but he didn't live like the world is a huge distinction. It means being willing to die to yourself. It means being willing to say, okay, God, I'm, I'm more about your approval than anyone else's. When I get up here this morning even to speak, I have to die to myself and say, God, I'm more concerned of your approval and what I say comes from my mouth than I am about what persons out here might think. It means being willing to suffer for the sake of others rather than to live for the approval of others. It means... Caring more about integrity than appearances. It means knowing God's your judge and Jesus is your savior and wanting others to know this Jesus you know. And today one of the difficulties in our world that it is actually collapsed these two into one. Acceptance and approval have become one. And on the religious side of the world it becomes one because if, if you are with someone and you love someone and you, and you eat with them and you become friends with them and you hang with them, whatever, it's now all you're approving. But this happens on the other side as well. 
See, on the other side as well as it can be, if you don't accept me for who I am, then you don't approve. And so there's the same kind of thing. They are not the same. Mature people understand that. One of the hardest things for me is I have to grow up in my life because some of you in your own family of origin, in your own church of origin, you have to have you know, this idea of being right. It's really difficult to have someone who may disagree with you and stay in relationship with them. It is, it is something mature people learn to do. And so this ability to be, I, I don't agree, but I accept and I love you and I want relationship with you. And you have these pendulums today in our society that have collapsed these two so you can't actually have a relationship. And, and that's one of the reasons there's such a distance right now. And, and people can scream and, and, and talk all you want about you know politics and how divided we are, but it's our own hearts. It's our own hearts. And then there's a, a second difference. It's the difference what I call between sameness and, and safe. Sameness is, you know, you're like me, since you're like me, then, you know, we can, you know, open our hearts to one another because that's not what scripture tells us. In fact, you'll find that sometimes the people who are like you may not be best for you even. I, I can tell you of a number of friendships. I remember one in college with one of my best friends who, um, who I was rooming with another guy. And we were on the same floor freshman year, and he was in another suite. I wasn't sure I really wanted to be a roommate with him, but he came and he asked, could I join you guys and be in room of three, which was changing all our plans, et cetera. But you know what? I didn't, we weren't like each other. We fought differently. We, 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 he liked basketball, I liked hockey. That's a big difference when you're in college. But we become best friends, and and he has taught me so much. I, you know, one of the if you take anything from here, one of the best things you might do is to learn instead of just spending all your time with people that are like you. Would you invite one person you know who is really different from you to your table when you have lunch, where you work, or or with a neighbor who just you you know you can't stand their dog? What you know? What I mean? Invite someone different. And learn to love them and let God grow your heart bigger. Become more open and welcoming. There is a difference between sameness and safe. If you genuinely love and show respect and open your heart, guess what's going to happen? Here's what a safe person does. Safe people allow other people to open their heart and share their burdens with you. Share their questions. Share the things that are going on in their life so that you can begin to pray. Martha gets such a bad rap, but she, she opened her home. She opened her life. What's so interesting in this story is where it's positioned. It's positioned between both Martha, uh, between a Good Samaritan is the story right before it, where where two guys who are religious walk by a guy who's beaten and dead, and one guy who no one thought should, who you didn't like, who was far was not a religious guy, walks by and is the hospitable one. And then Jesus looks at everybody and he says, Who's the good neighbor? It's the one who shows mercy and kindness. Go and do likewise.
let me just share with you just this whole idea of safe, which, which occurred a couple of weeks ago. Uh, I was with my college buddies, and we were down in Montgomery, Alabama, and we wanted to do kind of a tour of just really understanding more fully the racism and, and how systemic it is and, and just get some history. And I had been reading for the last few years on this. And so we did that and we had a tour with a tour guide and his name was Jake Williams. And Jake Williams said, let me just begin. He says, let me tell you first a little bit about the civil war and civil rights because um, you need to know a little bit of this. And then he narrowed down and said, let me tell you about Montgomery, Alabama. That's where we were, Montgomery, Alabama. And he says, let me tell you a little about myself. And he started to share a little bit about himself and he shared about his being the last of 16 children, being a child who grew up in the Jim Crow South, how he had walked for a few miles in that freedom march as a 12-year-old, had met Martin Luther King and, and also knew Rosa Parks and, and went and shared some of those things. He talked about a time when he was younger. In those days, blacks could only be preachers and teachers. He said, then I began to puff my chest out when the civil rights were beginning to take hold. And now there were blacks who were lawyers and doctors. And when I saw him, my, my chest would just come out a little bit. And he started sharing that with us. And then he said, when he was in the Navy, he went into the Navy, and, and, and he was asked by the officer, what's your name? And he said, he said Jake Williams. And, and the officer looked at him and said, no, your name isn't. Your name's Willie. And he said, that hurt so bad. And he went on and he told us that he was a teacher, and his students called Mr. Williams, which brought joy to his heart. And so here a chair of philosophy, a medical doctor, an international speaker and author, and two pastors. The rest of the tour called him Mr. Williams. And he just smiled. And he continued to open his heart to us. Can continued to share with us some of the pain in his own heart. Because there's a difference between sameness and being safe. And there's a difference between Learning to serve everyone, because that's what people, you kind of, well, let's go out and serve the world, and serving right where you are at. We make, we make following Jesus so incredibly difficult. And God is saying, you don't need to worry about serving the world. Don't worry about going across the ocean as much as going across the street. Don't worry about going back to some Bible school to get an education. Just use your job, where you live, where you work, right where you are. Every moment for opportunities to be able to just have a welcome, open, hospitable heart where your heart is willing to serve. Because that's what we're about as a church, to do whatever it takes to serve this whole West Metro in the name of Jesus. Whatever that means for us, we want to do that. You know, our, our responsibility isn't to try and get people to attend church. Our responsibility is to advance the kingdom, to be the church wherever we go. That means loving people and engaging relationship with them, listening to their convictions, sharing your own convictions with humility, and developing the kind of relationship where you're safe, that you are basically saying what we just sung. Lord, in this, I just want your presence. It's not about me. It's not about what I can do. It's about you, God, being present in all my relationships. So I'm just going to, I'm going to ask you to think about where is God calling you? you. It's probably right where you work. It could be right in your neighborhood. This, this summer, we're going to challenge people to think about just this summer, getting together with one neighbor or a couple neighbors and just, you know, getting across the street or across the property line and, and getting to know some people that live around you. But I just want to challenge you that whole purpose of this is, is, isn't about church attendance. It's about advancing the love and the kingdom and, and the life of Jesus and what it means to know and to walk and to serve him. And so engage with people. Love them right where they're at. 
I'm going to commission you as you go. Father, I pray that you, through the Holy Spirit, Jesus, that you would be with each and every person here whose heart is open to you and just is saying, I want your presence to be present in me wherever I go, that God, you will teach me what it means to serve right where I'm at. It's not about everyone. It's not about all. It's just where I'm at. And so, God, would you do that through our people as they go, where they walk, where they are working, where they go to school, where they go to social clubs, wherever they may be. May they be the presence of humility and love and goodness and developing the kind of relationships that invite you into them. We pray that, and I ask that in the name of Jesus. Amen. Moms, happy Mother's Day. God bless you. I think there may be something on the way out. God bless. God bless.